Let us stand for the reading of God's word. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the people who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And from Ecclesiastes 4, 4 through 8. I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So with that very encouraging thought, uh, we, <laughs> we, we come to see what the book of Ecclesiastes says about our, our work lives, right? This, this is an important topic, and it's also true for our graduating seniors, an important topic, because you know all those years we get our, go to school and get our education, our parents say when we're not doing well in school, well, if you don't do your work now, you're never going to get a good job. You're never going to get into a good university. All of that, we're already planning for our work lives when we're going to school. And then after we actually get into the main careers, because we often work earlier, but into the main careers, do you know that a huge percentage of our time is spent in the workplace? It's usually about 30% of our lives are spent working through our, our careers. And studies have said it's something like 92,000 hours we spend in the workplace over the length of a career. Now, when you think about it, at its very, very best, uh, work brings us fulfillment and joy. I mean, we human beings, we, we usually like to produce things and, and make a difference in this world. Uh, I really found this out uh, when, when I started out as a pastor. I was ministering in a city in Wisconsin in which uh, the um, unemployment rate went to over 20%. So I, I started having a Bible study with a group of the people who had lost their jobs. And week after week, people would tell, say to me, Pastor, we didn't know how much we appreciated work until we didn't have any. 
So you see, at its very best, there, there's something fulfilling about work. But you and I both know that on the other hand, there is almost nothing that can frustrate us as much as our work. And, and Solomon takes this up. I've asked myself why. I think sometimes because uh, it promises so much and it doesn't quite carry through. I mean, I've had so many jobs. My first one was mowing the lawns back in West Virginia. And uh, I remember starting to mow lawns. I was so happy to get the, you know, the money that came. But usually, and I saw this when I was university president, uh, students would say to me, they were so thrilled about get, finally getting to get a job in the field that they'd studied for. Then they'd come back a year later for our alumni day, and I'll just, they would sing with B.B. King, the thrill is gone, the thrill is gone, baby. It didn't seem that everything that the work promised them was being uh, carried out. And that was certainly true of Solomon, whom I think wrote, or at least was behind uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. Because as he, did you notice, as he started his discussion about work, in verse 18 in chapter 2, he said, I hated all my work in which I had worked under the sun. So we look at this thing, and, and you've got to ask the question, why is it that the thing that can bring us some fulfillment in our lives, you know, being productive and working, can also be so frustrating? Why is it that the thing that can bring meaningfulness into our lives, well, Solomon says so often, it's just meaningless. Well, I think the text that we've been looking at here today will help us to see that. Solomon spends most of his time telling us what's frustrating about work and what can be different, but he also has a section which he addresses what can be so meaningful. So I'm going to start there, all right? Let's start with the good news. Uh, and the first part that I call about the meaningful part of work, and, and I've called it this, you'll see it up there, that God's image bearers, that's what we are. We bear the image of God, and image bearers of God find satisfaction in their work. So in verses 24 and 25 of Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon says, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their work. This, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, without God, who can find enjoyment? So, so we see the same Solomon who says that work under the sun. And for those of you who are new to this series, that's such a key phrase. He means whatever we do, if we do it and this is all there is, what is under the sun, this material world, if there's no reference to God at all, if that's what we're living for, it's going to be a miserable business, and he hated it. <laughs> He's the same one who comes in here and says, but in the right way, there is, and, and the phrase he uses, nothing better than to find uh, enjoyment in, in, in our uh, work that we do every day. What, what he's saying when he says that there is nothing better for us to find enjoyment in in this world was deeply rooted in his people's culture. You know, he's a Jewish man. And in the Hebrew scriptures, going all the way back to the very beginning, the books of Moses, right where they start, Genesis chapter 1, you know what happens there, don't you? God makes himself known. People who are wondering, is there a God? God says, I am. And then what we see him doing is producing things. He, he creates, he makes a world. And then when we pull into chapter 2, where what he does is goes back into that sixth day of creation, and he creates the human being. The very way the Bible describes it in chapter 2, verse 7, is it shows it in such graphic ways, God digging down into the dust of the earth and making human life. I mean, that very physical kind of work, digging down into the dust. I love the way that Pastor Tim Keller, a pastor back in Manhattan, New York, puts it. He said, our God is a God who gets his fingernails dirty. 
It dignifies all kinds of work, even the work that some people say, I'd rather be thinking, no, 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 God says when we make things and build things, it dignifies, because that's what I do, is what he says. And then when he creates human beings, the first thing we find him doing is giving us work to do. You can read about it in in, uh, Genesis 2, 15 to 20. Uh, He he, he had already said that I'm going to have you take care of and can manage all that I have made, but it tells us he, he asked us to work the soil to take care of all things, and even be able to use our abilities to think, to name all of the other creatures. All of that is to say that when we are made in God's image, the image of the God in in whom we are made is a God who works and produces things. So you've got to know when your life is actually making a difference and you're building things and, and changing things and doing things, there is going to be fulfillment because we're made in the image of God. So, so what, what's the difference? Why is it that our work is so frustrating at times and that Solomon himself found it to be miserable from the, from the very thing that nothing is better than that? And there's one little phrase that I want you to see and never forget. It's in verse 25. And it's a little phrase, without God. Without God. That if we leave God out of our lives, even out of our work lives, How can you possibly find joy or fulfillment is what he says. Uh, What he said, you and I made in God's image were meant, and the only thing, to do life with God, which the phrase really has to do, I think about it as doing life with him. That that it's not just on, on Sunday morning when you show up at church that you sort of worship God and then you go out and live for yourself the rest of the week, but that God is there all the time. Pentecost Sunday is the Sunday for us to think about this that the Spirit of God has been given to us when we trust the Lord Jesus. So I'll tell you, wherever you go, God is with you. There is no place you go that He is not. There's nothing that you do that He's not a part of. He is there if you would only know Him uh, by faith, to find Him to be your refuge and your strength. And so what He says is, throughout the Word of God, we were meant to do life with God. But if we live life under the sun without any reference to God, even the good things that God has made for you and me to enjoy can absolutely deplete us and destroy us. And we've all experienced that. That's exactly what we find here. If if I can put this point together, our work brings satisfaction to us when our everyday relationship with God is close. Uh, that relationship is our primary relationship. And when, when you live life knowing that God is there, it changes every other relationship, including your relationship to the workplace. It's a beautiful thing. And yet, having said that, now we're going to come back to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> Something has happened in this world that has messed up what work is supposed to do for us. So he spends a lot of time with that, as you noticed, if you listened. <laughs> so point two. Uh, God's, and I'll call it God's fallen image bearers. We walked away from God. And what happens is we find dissatisfaction even in our work. Look how, how Solomon put it, verses 22 and 23. So what do people get for all the toil and then anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This is meaningless. So so the point that he's making is that when, in Genesis 3, people walk away from God, and when we leave God out of our lives, it affects everything else in our world. 
so that what happens in the language that he uses, I'm going to try to show you how profoundly he discusses this. This Ecclesiastes book, as hard as it is for us, it is absolutely profound. He takes up the three main things that I've always heard people say that they think work should bring to them, kind of the expectations that we have when we go into the workplace. And he says, if you have those expectations of work without God, they're going to let you down. What are they? Well, I'll tell you what they are, and then I'll come back to them. One, the expectation that uh, making a contribution through our work will bring meaning. You know, sort of leaving a lasting legacy. I'll do something that leaves the world a better place. He says, if you do that without God, it's not going to do that. The second thing he takes up is you'll experience inner fulfillment. This is where you really find you're doing what you have a passion for. He says, leave God out, and it's not going to do that for you. And the third thing he takes up, you, he, if you really get successful at work, you'll be recognized, people will know who you are, and you'll have relationships. If you leave God out, he says, it's not going to do that for you. You want to see what he has to say? Well, I'm going to do it anyway, whether you want to or not. This thought of our work, we're going to leave a legacy, we're going to make a contribution that changes our world. I want to have that happen. And he takes that up in, in chapter 2, verses 18 to 21. Listen again to what he said. I hated all the things I'd toiled for under the sun because I have to leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person is going to be wise or foolish. Yet they are going to have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless, is what he says. Now, in the ancient world that Solomon lived in, many, many of the people didn't know whether there's really a life after death so in the ancient Near Eastern world, so many people talked about their lives having meaning by building something and leaving it to someone who comes after them, leaving it that lasting legacy. Uh, Solomon also, the, the Jewish people, were a very family-oriented. So for those of you who come from extended family kind of contexts, so the real thought was, for, especially for so many uh, men, they wanted to build some sort of work or business or, or land that then they would pass on to their sons. And that they would be uh, remembered for that. And I'm sure that was true of Solomon. He was the king. He, his business card had a good, good title on there. And, and he wanted, I am sure, to pass on a stronger kingdom to his sons than he had even received. Because his father had been the king before him. So you can see this, can't you? But if you read about the history of Solomon, you find out that near the end of his life, he already began to realize that the nation was not going to follow his sons. Uh, they were going to be, already had started while he was still king. They were going to be divided. They weren't even going to be a united nation anymore. Uh, they were going to be divided both into Judah and to Israel. And two different sons were going to have leadership, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And eventually, they wouldn't even be following God. Now, I'll tell you, I, I've talked with so many of us that when our children are growing up, we, we want to pass on something to our children. We even maybe build a business. We want to pass it on to them. And then we find out our children don't want to go into that business. And as Christians, sometimes we, we hope we'll be able to pass on sort of a faith-filled, Christ-centered kind of a way of life and business and find our children even reject that. And it just seems to be so empty. Boy, I'll tell you, when I was a university president, I saw this all the time as I dealt with our major donors. I was thinking of one man in particular who had built a significant financial business for our whole, uh, for our whole country. And he was hoping, when I got to be with him there, uh, because he was growing much older, he was hoping that, to pass this on to his son, who was also in the business. 
Amazingly, soon after this man passed away, the board that had been formed decided quickly not to give that business, the CEO uh, position to the son, but to somebody else who did not share any of the faith values and just ran that business into the ground. I, tell you, I thought about that when, when Solomon looks at this and says, if that's what you're living for, if you think the only thing in life is that you're going to pass on your work to your kids or to anybody else, uh, that's a miserable business. You don't even know if they're going to follow God at all. It reminded me of, of a comment that poet John Keats made. He decided, he saw all this, and he decided he wanted on his epitaph something like this. Here lies one who only plowed water. <laughs> Are you with me here? Do you know what happens when you plow water? It just goes right back to where it was. Can't you feel with Solomon's words in verse 21, a person can labor with wisdom and knowledge and skill. Then you have to leave all that you own to another who's not toiled for it. This is meaningless. This is a great misfortune. If that's where you think you're going to find your meaning in life, well, think again is what he says. Well, what, what about the second thing? What about the promise that work gives us that you find what you're really made for? You're going to find inner fulfillment. Look at what he says about that. Uh, are you ready to hear it? All encouraged? Ready? What do people get for all their work and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days, their work is filled with grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. All right, the word, very words he uses here. Just cross the centuries and, and speak to us. In, in our own culture, I've heard this so often. Okay, when you get educated, find out the thing that you have a passion for, get your training that you need to do that thing that you have a passion for. Then when you get into the workplace and do what you have a passion for, then your life will have meaning. Haven't you heard that? That sort of fills our culture. Leave God out, it doesn't matter. It's actually the work that you have to do. And Solomon says, absolutely not. Why? Because, and he uses three words, I'll just show them to you. Let them lift you up. He says, because work, if you're living for work, it brings grief. That's what my translation says. What he's talking about there is something that's been true in every culture, that when you do work, any kind of work, you, you subject yourself to ongoing evaluation. Uh, if you have a supervisor, that supervisor uh, will always come and look at, at the work that you're doing, and so you're always feeling you've got to produce. If you're the supervisor, you're still usually under the board, and so somehow, uh, the way is, if you think that's where you're going to find your, your fulfillment, one day you're going to have one supervisor who says you're good. The next day you'll find the business has changed your supervisor who wants their kid to take your job or whatever happens. You know it always happens in our world. And one day when you get a good job review, the very next time you come in for your job review, they'll say, ah, it wasn't so good this year. You're only as good as you are right now. It just brings, it brings grief. And Solomon was, was the king. And sometimes we think, well, if you get to be the president, then nobody will criticize you. Ask the president of the United States if, if that is true. I have a good job. Do you know that? I love my, I love Lake Avenue Church. I love being pastor, but this is true of my job too, you know? There are so many times when people go through the door and, I, and you'll say, wow, that was a great sermon, Pastor. And the very next time you come through, I just sense, I, I think you want to say, well, that wasn't so good. Boy, that was long. That didn't hit anybody. If that's what you're living for and you've got to find your meaning in, in that, he says, that is grief. 
Well, maybe it's something else here. The second word he says, it brings pain. The word that's translated pain here means the pain that comes from ongoing exertion, where you just get exhausted doing what you're doing. And you get into a job that you love and you think, well, I'm working so many hours now, but the more I'm in this company, the more surely my job load will pull back. But that doesn't happen very often, does it? The, the more you produce, the more you're expected to produce, and eventually your work just ends up wearing you out until it's just a painful, a painful thing for us to do. It was interesting, a study that was done recently of a, a global multinational corporation, CEOs, who said that the hardest thing was that their lives were so busy, and they were asked, one of the questions was, what would you do if you were given uh, more time in your workday? Uh, do you know what they said? I'd sleep. That's what, I'd sleep. <laughs> because haven't we experienced this? We think it'll be, get to be a little bit easier, but more and more our work ends up exhausting us. Well, maybe there's something else here, but look at that other phrase that he uses, work brings worry. As he speaks about the pain and the grief, he also talks about, and he starts with that by using that phrase, anxious striving, in verse 21, and then he picks it up again at the end about how all of this plays in your mind, and he says, our minds cannot rest at night. Isn't this so often the case? When we feel this pain and this grief that we go home and we want to rest and get ready for the next day but we can't even sleep, all this is to say that if you say to anyone that you find your fulfillment under the sun without reference to God in your work, it's going to let you down. It's going to let you down. So, so, so it, it doesn't make itself a lasting contribution. It doesn't bring that inner fulfillment. And then this last thing that he takes up so poignantly is that if you think, well, if I really work well and I rise in the company, then I'll be known. Or if I really work well, I'll get my painting shown in the best art gallery and people will know who I am. I'll get to sing in the biggest concert halls and people will know where I am. I'll be recognized and respected. He says, think again. He tells that story that our students read so beautifully for us in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, so brief. But picture this man. He said, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. But there was no end to his working. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And he asked, for whom am I toiling? Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. This is a miserable, miserable business. In this, do you see what the, the picture of the man that he's painted, has, what his life has been like? He's worked so hard that he didn't spend any time with his children. And when he thought that this would bring a, a lasting relationship and deep respect, when, when at last he's ready to give some time to his children, he had no son there. His son had already left him behind because his father hadn't invested any time in him when he was a child. And the rest of his family too, no brother either. You think your work might bring you recognition and respect, but at the end of the day, you so often find that even if you become very, very successful, those people that you think are respecting you, often you begin to recognize and feel that they only respect you because of what you can do for them. Give them a job increase, whatever else you might do for them. And when you no longer have that position, they just leave you alone. That's what he's talking about. So I've written, his declaration is this, work under the sun. 
without reference to God who brings meaning to our work is not worthy of being placed at the center of your life. In fact, the more you count on work to make a meaningful life, the more you will find meaninglessness breaks into your life specifically through the work that had promised so much but could not deliver. Do any of you see that this is true? Now, remember the first part of the sermon (laughs) that that work is supposed to bring us fulfillment. So uh, let me try to put it all together, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff Leo to bring it home here. Um, In its rightful place, when you go into the workplace knowing that God is with you, uh, knowing that even if the work you're doing that day isn't what you would have chosen to do, but God has placed you there and there's a role he'd have you to play, it changes everything. God is the primary relationship. And then that second thing, work can take joy as something done as unto the Lord. So I've retexted verses 24 and 25 in this way. Finding satisfaction is your work in your work is from the hand of God. For without him, who can find enjoyment? Now the big question is how you actually go to work with God. Isn't that the big question? So I'm just going to give you a few things here quickly. Uh, first thing, um, it's going to take a whole sermon to do this another day. But you can't let work become your God. Amen. And so the Bible's built something into us that if we'll obey it, it will keep work from becoming your God. And that is one day of, out of every seven, you've got to stop working. Fourth commandment is still a commandment from God. Uh, work can bring joy, but if it becomes your God, it will ruin your life. And so six days, you find out, what is the work you've given me right now, Lord? Like I said, when I started, uh, I mowed lawns and went to school. One day, you've got to stop. And and the Bible's message to you, and we're going to have to take some time. Pastor Jeff's going to come up, but he and I are both so deeply committed to this. Uh, What does that day look like? Well, keep coming to church. Someday, I'll I'll pop a whole message (laughs) on what this looks like, Uh, to work six days and take one day where you just are renewed. It's a beautiful thing. Okay, then what happens when you actually do go to work? I'll give you three phrases. Most of them are taken straight out of Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. So we'll put them up here so you can see them. So whatever work you do, whatever the work you have to do today, uh, when you go to it, know that God has taken you there and work in that place as if you were working directly for the Lord. Uh, have you ever noticed that you work usually a little bit more diligently when your supervisor is watching you? Anybody else? Am I the only one like that? And th- this is the, the thing that, that God says, I'm always there. And if you'll do your work as unto the Lord and say, Lord, I want to please you in, in my work, I'll tell you what that will do for you. You will become the best employee that you possibly could be. Yeah. Whatever energy God has given you, you'll say, Lord, I'm going to use it because you've given it to me. And you put me in this place, I don't know quite why right now, (laughs) why I'm here, but while I'm here, I'm going to work as if I'm working for you. And and if you're the employer overseeing people, treat the people under you as if you're pleasing God, treating them the way he treats you and he treats them, and it will change the workplace for them too. So that's the first thing. Doing life with God is knowing that he's always there. So do your work as if you are working directly for him. Second thing is very much like it. And actually, um, I drew the, line, the phrase straight out of Ephesians 6, 7, uh, where the Apostle Paul says, at work, serve those around you wholeheartedly 
Serve them as if you were serving the Lord. Um, I almost hear some of you thinking, when Apostle Paul wrote that, he wasn't writing about people who have people working around him like I do. The people working around me really get on my nerves. They, they were work, and their job was probably better than the job that I have. Are, are any of you thinking, you don't have to raise your hand. All I want to say to you is that that's not true. The people he was writing to primarily were slaves. And so he said, even though that, you, don't, you may not be there all the time, and we need to come to that place where he sets us free from the place of work where we're going to be into something else. But when you go to work, then look at the people around you, and as Christ has served you, you serve them. Uh, even the ones who bother you the most. If your goal is to make the workplace a better place for them, you can't control them or change them often, right? But you can control yourself and how you treat them. So learn to serve. Learn to serve your, your boss. Learn to serve the ones you supervise as if you're serving the Lord. And it will make the workplace, at least for them, a, a more beautiful place. And maybe it will become that way for you. The third thing just flows out of those two. So even at work, I just encourage you, because we are all to be his witnesses, and uh, he sends us into those places to live lives that people say, oh, what's different about you? And we hope it's good. <laughs> that you give witness to Jesus. Look for ways to appropriately give witness to Jesus. And, and my thought is you, you don't go in and just irritate people and give up your works because you're always over witnessing and handing out tracts. Now remember, number one, you're going to be the best worker you possibly can be. You're going to serve those around you. But I, don't you think that if we actually do number one and two, we're the best workers we possibly could be, we serve the people around us. It will usually open up some doors to saying the only thing that makes the difference is, is the Lord Jesus. Well, I'm going to ask Pastor Jeff Leo to come up to bring our service to a conclusion. Uh, Jeff is our pastor of missional outreach. That includes outreach into the workplace. So, Jeff, come on up. And there are some things the Lord has put on your heart and on our heart. I'm so thankful for God's call upon you and, and bring us home. Well, good afternoon. It's the afternoon. So... I get to bring us the benediction in just a few moments, but I want to help us to reflect on what we've been hearing about this morning, what it means to be a worker in the kingdom of God. And I'm going to borrow from uh, David Miller's four E's, four major components of thinking through what it means to be a Christian at work. 92,000 hours, you heard this morning, that's how much you will spend at the, in the workplace over the course of the average lifetime. What that means is, by comparison, you, you spend a tiny fraction of your life by comparison here at Lake Avenue Church, which means that we know that your ministry, where God has put you, is there in the workplace. Most of your waking hours during your working life are spent in the workplace, so your ministry is there. But we also want you to know that your experience of work ought to be rich and full. Pastor Greg has already talked about two of the E's. The first one is ethics. What kind of worker, what kind of coworker, or what kind of supervisor or business owner will you be? The second one is evangelism, giving a testimony to the gospel of Jesus Christ in your workplace. How will you share the gospel there? If you're wondering about that, how to accomplish that, we're going to throw my work number and my email on the screen, and you should feel free to contact me, because we want to figure that out together. 
especially if it's difficult to do those kinds of things. If your workplace is a difficult place ethically, or if it's hard to share the gospel there, contact me so that we can work on it together. The third E that I want to share with you is about the experience of work. So I want to tell you about my first job. I worked in a warehouse counting uh, electrical components. Thousands of electrical components. The work was essentially like this. One transistor, two transistors, 3,000 transistors. It was mind-numbing work. If you struggle to experience that God has created you for meaningful work, that He wants to take the work that you do and make it fit into the two great loves for God and for our neighbor, if you don't experience that Jesus will place all things at his feet, not to crush them, but to adorn the place where he rests his feet, to take all things and place them there, if you don't experience that, contact me so that we can work on that together. Because a person who experiences the richness of what the Bible promises in work becomes a better worker, too. And lastly, E for enrichment, your life at work, your community at work, the people at your work should make your experience of work even richer. So I want to tell you about job number four that I had. I was working one summer at the University of Oklahoma Medical Center doing cancer research. And I would go into the office and it turned out that the lab manager who was there was a strong believer and she had just led the lab technician who worked there to the Lord. And so we would enter into work all together, and they found out that I was a Christian, and we would pray together. And especially we would pray for our principal investigator, the scientist who was working on the particular cancer vaccine that we were researching. We prayed together for the clients that would come into the clinic for their healing, for our PI, that he would come to know the Lord. And that totally changed the experience of work. Now, all I was doing all day was filling bottles and test tubes with growth medium. It wasn't terribly exciting, but I'll tell you what was, the community that we had there. That's the kind of workplace ministry that we're hoping to plant. I told you a few months ago that we're hoping to plant five. I'm happy to report to you now that we've identified our first site, and we're going to get ready to go really soon to bring a vibrant witness through a community of believers in one of the workplaces. So if you work at one of the major workplaces in um, Pasadena, listed on the Pasadena website, I'll list them off for you. JPL, Huntington Memorial, Bank of America, Kaiser Permanente, One West Bank, OpenX, Parsons, Jacobs. And you're wondering, how do I find community at my workplace? The chances are good that someone here at Lake Avenue Church also works there. And if you send me an email, I'll connect you to whoever else we know who's there. And then we can begin to pray together. I can come visit you at your workplace, and we can have lunch together, and we can pray that God would do something new in your workplace. And that's what we're going to do now. Because whether we or whether you pray for your workplace says a lot about what we think God can do in our workplace. So darn it, we're going to pray. <laughs> would you join me now as we pray? God, we believe that you love workers. We believe that you love people, institutions, and ideas, and products. We believe that you love these office spaces. We believe that you love this city, and we want to give it to you.
so that you will do the amazing thing that you do and redeem them for your purposes. Use them in your kingdom. Some of us don't experience the richness of work, and we pray that you would break into our work lives and do something new and fresh. Pour out your spirit on us and in our workplaces. Send us people who will walk alongside us. We pray because we're asking you to intervene in the lives of our coworkers so that these workplaces would be places where your people can flourish and where this world can indeed, as we have vowed many times at children's dedications, this world can become a better place for our young people to live. So we give you our workplaces and we ask that you would do your amazing work. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.